I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by... Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. It's not just the fact that we're women, but it's really the fact that we are 50% of the population. And how can mm. you not involve 50% of the population? In yeah. fact, in some countries, women are like 50.5% of the yeah. population and oh, excluded. Excluded yes. from this, uh, from this threat, Tamara. This is quite uh, mind-boggling. Yeah, to me, it makes very little political sense mm-hmm. for you to be working along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> because it is just, it, it's just downright stupid, actually, if you think about it. Hello, everyone. Salam, salam, salam. Welcome to another episode of She Talks Peace. I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, greeting you from hot and muggy Manila. This month, ASEAN leaders are expected to come together again for this year's first summit under the leadership of ASEAN. You know, in ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Countries, the chairmanship of uh, ASEAN changes. So every year, uh, another head of state becomes the the chair. And um, this year, the summit will be held in Labuan Bajo, uh, Indonesia, from May 9 to 11. And um, since our podcast talks about issues of uh, women, uh, peace and peace builders, We've talked so much about women, peace, and security. I was just wondering whether our leaders are going to shy away from issues of women, peace, and security. Even though ASEAN actually launched its regional plan of action on women, peace, and security last December 5, we never can tell what uh, leaders consider as priority. Uh, It could be what's going on with geopolitics and uh, China flexing its muscles. It could be about 
new, you know, non-traditional threats to security. Uh, one thing I know is uh, most likely they might not be talking about the the crisis in uh, in Myanmar, but talking about women, peace, and security. Uh, for this episode, I've invited Dr. Tamara Nair to join us. Tamara is a research fellow at the Center for Non-Traditional Security Studies at the S. Rajanatram School of International Studies in Nanyang Technological University, Singapore. Dr. Nair Tamara is the Singaporean representative to the ASEAN Women for Peace uh, Registry. There are three of them, actually. And Dr. Uh, Tamara is also in the Council for Security Cooperation in the Asia-Pacific Study Group on Women, Peace, and Security Agenda. She is an expert member working for the ASEAN Institute for Peace and Reconciliation's WPS training modules for ASEAN's senior and mid-level officials. Dr. Tamara is also a lecturer for the ASEAN IPR's online lecture series. So let's welcome Tamara to join us on She Talks Peace. Hi, Tamara. Hi, Amina. How are you? Thank you for having me on She Talks Peace this afternoon. Tamara, we've been trying to get you on board She Talks Peace for what, a year now? You're, you're yes, always... So busy, and uh, of course, COVID also got you, as it did so so many of us. And um, since you are such a a hard person to reach because of your work, let me ask you a very very serious question: Is Singapore a fun country, or is it true that Singaporeans do nothing but work, work, work? And that's the reason why Singapore is the richest country in Southeast Asia. Uh, well, we do work, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, so does everybody else. It's not just us. But, you know, you have to, you have to sort of uh, make a little bit of time in your life for other things. So I guess, you know, if you're the kind of person who sort of believes in a balance, then it's it's actually great because there are so many amenities here that you can enjoy and also you know and take a break from working. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we do we are excessive workers. I would say at some yeah a lot of us yeah we kind of live to work. <laughs> <laughs> Tamara, during the pandemic, during the lockdown. That mm-hmm. was also a blow for Singapore, right? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, especially a country that's very dependent on a lot of, you know, we are so tied to um, the international systems of trade and and services and all that. So when we have lockdowns and even, you know, uh, it, it, it really uh, hit us. But we are, of all the things that you've mentioned, on top of that, we are also, we might be small, but I think we are a rather resilient nation in that sense because, we managed to get out of it with not too much damage done, which which is which is uh, which is great. Yeah, and uh, during the pandemic, you found the time to write a very interesting article. This was in twenty twenty 
about mm -hmm. women, peace and security and non-traditional security threats like uh, the pandemic. And um, you, you know, that, that paper that I read, uh, you talked about the women, peace and security framework as a transformative one, hoping, to, hoping for change. And um, you were saying that the agenda can in fact be used to address the plight of women in the aftermath of natural hazards and in issues of economic insecurities as well. You mm -hmm. were you were saying that um, operationalizing the four pillars of women, peace, and security, that's uh, uh, prevention of suffering for women, participation of women in planning and implementation of policies, protection of women from economic, psychological, or physical violence, and the sustained role of women in relief and recovery processes. You were mm -hmm. suggesting that um, this should all be integrated within response strategies, not just addressing COVID at the time, but uh, other uh, other issues as well. And then you asked uh, in that article, but how can this happen? So let me ask you, Tamara, how can this happen? <laughs> I think one of the biggest, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a really good question, and I think we have to consistently ask ourselves, how can we actually continuously keep integrating this framework and the four pillars? Because the framework is very beautiful in a sense that it's already yeah. given you the four areas that you can actually look at. Right. I have to say, a lot of um, you know, uh, work and discussion has gone into the protection pillar, mm -hmm. and rightfully so. Rightfully so, because uh, you know, uh, women and girls do need uh, uh, protection in certain uh, in certain situations, especially in terms of crisis, in terms of conflict. Of course, we all know and understand this. But you know, uh, and also, I think more or less, uh, we've been discussing the participation pillar mm -hmm. as well, the involvement of women in many mm -hmm. of these issues in understanding them. I feel, however, the relief and recovery pillar is something that we don't. Um, it's not that yes. we don't take it seriously enough, but I don't think we talk about it enough. Mm -hmm. Because when we have a crisis, and you know, it's, it's, it's the idea of not letting a crisis go to waste, as, as bad as that sounds. But, you know, mm -hmm. when you have a crisis, you have an opportunity to sort of relook at things and see where you have gone wrong because you would have just experienced it in the very recent past, you know or perhaps still experiencing it within the crisis, and then you can actually see your gaps, your policy blind spots, mm -hmm. what you've been missing. So when you have women in that relief and recovery efforts or the rehabilitation efforts, you are listening to people's lived experience. Right. And here I don't just speak about COVID. I speak about financial crisis. I speak about uh, you know food crisis, any, any form of disruption, of massive disruption. Uh, to to our regular lives, uh, you see, women, you 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 know, if you like really were serious about uh, moving this forward, and you know, when you ask me how how are we to do that, and I think one of the most important things is having women in the rehabilitation process because there mm -hmm. they bring with them the actual lived experience of that, you know. Uh, and they can give you very valuable uh, information because the whole idea of vulnerability, right? We look at it as a form of weakness and hence mm -hmm. we, we tend to protect 
Right. But the idea is vulnerability is also a strength because within vulnerability, you discover a lot of things you can or cannot do. And hence, uh, you know, when you have that kind of information coming to you in your rebuilding stage, in your recovery stage, I think that is so vital. And I think to me, it seems like of the four pillars, the relief and recovery pillars should should be given a lot of um, attention uh, in that sense. I mean, as much attention as we would in the protection and the participation. You know, even the prevention, uh, if, if, you, if you think in terms of, if you're just going back to business as usual, then the prevention part, you know, you're not really handling that very well because when you have a crisis and you realize all the things that can go wrong, then you need to put things in place to actually prevent that from happening again. But when you have this, like for me, the build back better uh, mm. idea, mm -hmm. I, I find that, uh, not that you shouldn't build back better, I think you should build back different because obviously or, your original plans have left, you know, right. group, groups of people more vulnerable than they were uh, right. before whatever crisis hit. So perhaps you need to relook at this. So don't. it's not just about building back better. It's also about building back different in that sense. So, you know, where the, 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 the I guess what I'm saying is that when you have a lot of, uh, when you take in the information from women in the re relief and recovery pillar with the idea of preventative strategies that, they won't face the same kind of issues in the event of another crisis. I think that's really important. And, uh, you know, if you ask me that how you're going to go about uh, doing that, and I would think that you should actually have, uh, and, you know, uh, I don't want to say it because I, I'm sure we've all seen it and read about it, just having women at the table is not enough. Yeah. Because uh, it doesn't mean that when you are female, you are feminist. <laughs> that's not how Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. It works. You know that is true. Yeah. You know when yeah. you're talking about the build back better, your government, my government, I'm sure most uh, governments in the world, they think infrastructure. They think mm -hmm. uh, uh, more for economic development. But you're mm -hmm. right. Um, you rarely hear about the better part, including how do you really take care of human security because That's building right. back better shouldn't be all about the econ just be about the economy and uh, infrastructure whether it's telecom or or roads but it's really making sure that um, you know the 
the, the 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 people, the citizens who are going to be supposedly benefiting from building back better are also thought of, right? And I was just exactly. thinking about um, about your government, about Singapore, which is really a major force in Southeast Asia and uh, Asia for for that matter, and its focus on. Uh, growth and economic development, is it easy to get the Singaporean government to focus on issues of uh, human security, like uh, getting more women involved and uh, supported when you're talking about relief and uh, the recovery part of women, peace and security? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Especially in recent times, especially so. Mm. Uh, I think uh, we've reached, uh, you know, as any country would, especially a young nation, we have to go through that, you know, the many different stages of not so much, I'm not talking about economic development, but even mm-hmm. the development of culture, the development of yeah. of society, like where are we from where we were before? And, you know, especially in the recent years, the recent um, three to four years, the focus on women and women's issues, we even had a white paper uh, released in terms of uh, uh, gender inequalities and all that. So, you know, I think it is not a difficult task to mm-hmm. make uh, the leaders understand uh, the importance of this. And honestly, I think they do understand the importance of this. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, but of course, as in any situation, uh, there's always a little bit more that you can do. Mm-hmm. And that would be for any place, you know, even there's always that little bit more the steps that you can take, whether it's in terms of funding whether it's in terms of uh, greater public participation, you know, there's, whether it's in terms of education even, uh, you know, uh, or keeping an eye on certain uh, data, like how many, how many female students do you have in this particular, like STEM, for instance. I think mm-hmm. we are doing very well in that sense, like especially for uh, STEM education and STEM mm. jobs. Mm. And as a matter of fact, uh, I did uh, I did write about this. We have the highest uh, participation of women in the STEM, in the AI industry in the world, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which, which is, which is I, I believe is a great uh, accomplishment for a country as small as us because we even beat countries known for their tech, uh, like right. the US or, in, or India, you know, for that matter, because they really produce a lot of tech uh, experts. But once again, globally speaking, it, it, we have one of the highest numbers, but sadly, it's only 28%, which says a lot about the rest of the world in that case. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, but I, I think uh, even if you're looking at resilience, you're looking at economic resilience, you're looking at, um, you know, uh, whether it's health resilience, whether it's looking at, you know, resilience in terms of uh, disasters or crisis, the inform- in, um, the digital uh, digitalization and the whole idea of uh, AI and the idea of ICT, is so important and it's just becoming more and more important in our lives. So I think for us in Singapore, because we've always had this sort of a gender neutral stance when we talk in terms of education. That means we mm-hmm. don't particularly have like, oh, boys in engineering and girls in humanities or whatever. Uh, it's not that we don't have it, but it's not something that's in the minds of uh, uh, people, because I think that stems actually from historically, we we actually did want to have a very uh, well uh, educated workforce because we are small and we have no other resource, so it'll have to be the people. Oh. 
So if you're going right. to have this kind of ideas of sectoral bias in that sense, right, or occupational bias, you can't move forward. So that, in in a lot of ways, helped to sort of give us that not necessarily equal footing, but sort of high numbers when it comes to women in in the digital or ICT or STEM in Singapore, and that counts a lot towards. Uh, building resilience, especially as we move into a very highly digitalized future. You know what, Tamara? Um, when you're talking about um, Singapore being a major force now in education, uh, involving science, technology, uh, engineering, and and mathematics. I couldn't help but remember the most recent um, global survey they did on education performance, and it's yep. so embarrassing, Tamara, because the Philippines has slid down. I think we're like on the same level as Uganda, something like that, and it's it it was really shocking to me. And uh, talking about STEM, the performance of um, of the Philippines uh, in that area, especially among among girls, is really horrific. And I'm so glad that uh, your government has a very gender neutral attitude when it comes to mm. education of uh, of women, girls, mm. as well as boys. When it comes to to uh, to STEM, and um, when you're talking about um, Technology and AI. You know, Tamara, AI scares me to death. Especially oh, yeah. after I saw those, <laughs> those uh, documentaries uh, of yes. uh, this uh, reporter who had this weird interaction with. Uh, yes, yes, they tried to break uh, up his uh, marriage. And I started uh, to think about the. Uh, the growing uh, cybersecurity issues that we have in uh, all over the world. And it's now here also in Southeast Asia where you've got recruitment for violent extremism going exactly. on in, in cyberspace. How are we to cope with these cybersecurity threats, Tamara, when our most of our governments do not have the infrastructure to even just neutralize the messaging that you see online. So what, what's the recommendation there, Tamara? Um, I would say, right, in particular, in particular for, let's say, okay, for the radicalization part, I think that is very, you know, a large part of this is understanding women's lives and experiences. Mm -hmm. Because you have such... Um, heteronormative understanding of how families or men and women operate in this society, right? Mm -hmm. You don't realize your threats can be from anywhere. You are going yeah. after a specific type of, oh, uh, you know, the, the radicalized person will be this, of this gender, mm -hmm. of this age group. That's not true anymore, especially when you have, you know, um, this this um, digital economy, the digital ecosystem allows such anonymity that you can right. stay behind and, and do whatever you want and you don't even right. know who's the, per the perpetrator of these crimes or these ideas or these dangerous ideas that are being uh, spread. Um, I think one of the most important things is that, you see, many of the people, and here I speak specifically about women and girls, um, 
the people who create these technologies have not experienced any of the issues that women and girls will experience in real life simply because they are mostly if not i would say all men mm-hmm. so their experience of the world is extremely different and so they do not see they have a lot of blind spots when it comes to threats or dangers because it's just not in their world view it has never happened to them they have never experienced such things at any stage uh, whether from very young or in the family or in schools or at work right so when they design these um uh technology in that sense they don't see the need to put those security features in because if you don't know what is out there you're not going to think about that mm-hmm. which is why it is so important from the whole process from the inception and the creation of the software or whatever it is that you're working on to the the spread of it or the use of it to the down downstream effects of it whether it's misinformation or disinformation or harassment or whatever is happening happening online that whole stretch requires upstream all the way downstream requires a very diverse team of people working on it reflective of the real mm-hmm. world the violence in the digital ecosystem is very much reflective of the the physical world the the misogynistic sexist language or behavior you find in the physical world you find it reflected in in you find it in the digital world now maybe exaggerated and multiplied because of anonymity as well as impunity nothing's going to happen to them because that's just how women should get used to it so you have a lot of women you know coming up with e-businesses and all that which is great mm-hmm. uh in terms of economic security and not so much just for the individual but also for the nation for the state but you see a lot of them closing up because of the kind of comments that they get and and they are not flourishing as much as they can you know mm. uh especially south east asia we've had fantastic increase in e-commerce during the covid pandemic and yeah, right. almost yes. 75 to 80% of that is led by women oh i didn't know that that's so amazing even even in terms of uh, i i think it also works see the thing about technology especially digital technology is it is a democratizing tool yes it does yeah. it allows a lot of people to get into the space where they might not be able to do physically Mm-hmm. uh so when women you know they get into this e-commerce right it gives them a great opportunity to enter the economy in that sense but without actually being out at a location physically where it mm-hmm. might be more difficult to, for them for whatever reason cultural reasons or any any reason right so this in that sense one of the one of the things that we re- our leaders really need to look at is look at the positives of the of the technology as a democratizing tool as getting more people to sort of get into that space a public space and then as you know and one of the ways in do, of doing that is to actually look at protective measures for women and girls and here once again i see the wps four pillars working uh as well uh where you know you can have uh participation in the creation of these programs and all that and they have to have a very close partnership with the p- private sector or the tech companies that actually work on this and they have to have these sort of uh, alerts or filters or whatever it is as necessary to go in for this because we do want people to participate we do want people to be able to express their opinions without the fear of being shut down in some cases just because 
you know, you are of a particular, uh, you know, not just women, but, you know, sexual minorities as well. Mm-hmm. They suffer quite a bit in terms of this. And, and you know, I think um, it is very difficult, you know, when you think in terms of cybersecurity to manage this space. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The reason being states and officials and institutions, we follow formal lines of of you know of management or governance but criminals do not they are like three steps <laughs> ahead because they don't need to they right. don't need to follow in but we are very in a way we are restricted by our institutions yeah. that doesn't mean we shouldn't have our institution but yeah it, we're also a bit restricted in how much we can do yeah that's what everyone's going to I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's what, exactly what i was going to ask you why is it difficult for governments to work on uh, cyberspace to prevent these incursions when you know ICs and other extremist organizations find it so so easy because Singapore you've got the infrastructure so it's really a mindset Tamara yeah not enough women also and young people who are yes. very uh, fluent in the language of, of cyberspace That's right. Is that what's happening? Um, yeah, plus, like I said, we are also limited in what we can do because of the institutions and the instruments that we are, or legal instruments or international instruments that we are party to, mm-hmm. right? We, can't, yes, we right. can't go and just stick our face in places where we yes, don't have permission right. or authority to do so. But, and it's mm-hmm. difficult to actually, what is your jurisdiction here? Your perpetrator is in another country where your victim might be in another country. Mm-hmm. So how do you handle that? Now, for me, it seems that if this is a regional concern, I would say you should merge your frameworks, your security, let's say, for example, your digital security architecture together mm-hmm. with your w, WPS architecture. Mm-hmm. So when you merge those two you all, and you think along those lines, you are actually addressing gender inequality, um, peace building, and uh, cyber security at the same time. So yeah. one very important thing is not to be just so fixated in your not you know in your little cubby holes, like don't be so siloed in your thinking and sort of look into merging because we are especially all these non-traditional threats uh, we are not going to have very specific locations mm-hmm. and specific people who are involved that's going to make it so easy for you so you're going to have to sort of start merging frameworks merging security architecture you know uh, whether it's cyber security and wps climate security and wps mm-hmm. why are we looking at them separately the idea of a women's role in cybersecurity should not be a elective module that you right. would study. That's it right. Is, it's the core, right? Mm-hmm. Similarly, for climate security, don't look at it as something that's outside of it, something that's subjective and specialized. It is not. Right. It is part of it, right? So yeah. if you think in that way, I think it becomes, it's still not, it's still a heavy, big task, but it becomes a little bit easier for you to handle. Uh, you know, issues uh, where you previously would not have thought of. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, especially since um, it's not just the fact that we're women, but it's really the fact that we are 50% of the population. And how can mm. you not involve 50% of the population? In yeah. fact, in some countries, women are like 50.5% of the yeah. population and oh, excluded, excluded yeah. from this uh, from this threat, Tamara. This is quite uh, mind-boggling. Yeah, to me, it makes very little political sense mm-hmm. for you to be working along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> Because it is just, it, it's just downright stupid, actually, if you think about it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, why would you apply? You wouldn't do it Honestly, you wouldn't do it for any other form of, you know, if you are looking at climate change, would you not look at scientific data mm-hmm. <laughs> and just look at people? Like, you know, it, why are you missing such a huge element and then think you have it right? This is what mm-hmm. I don't understand. Yep, you and me both. Yeah. You know, Tamara, you work very closely with ASEAN on ASEAN issues. And you and I were with the ASEAN Women for Peace Registry. And therefore, we're really following closely what's going to happen with the Regional Plan of Action on uh, Mm -hmm. Women, Peace and Security. Are you optimistic that this document supported by ASEAN leaders will move us further along? I am let let's let me just say this I am very glad that we have this. Yes. Okay, it's been it's been quite a bit of contestation over quite a few decades mm-hmm. for us to reach this stage. Now that we have it, we have mm-hmm. no excuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, women and men alike in this place, mm-hmm. women leaders and male leaders or whoever we're talking about, no excuse not to see this set up in a proper functional mm-hmm manner to that end i would like to say we must be very careful not to import lock stop and barrel right regional action plans from any other region oh, yeah. whether it is the eu or wherever right mm-hmm. because to me the success of this will depend on how useful it is for asean and asean's mm-hmm. problems and if you want people to sit up and listen you have to make a connection with the regional action plan and the most pressing issues of the day for us and the number one pressing issue um i would say is climate security oh yeah we you know, feel because that it, here yeah. yes we threat it threatens food security it threatens water security it destabilizes states destabilizes communities can cause civil unrest you know so many things and you know where i okay that that's one area the other area i see that is very important to us in this great you know leap and and um, grasp of technology is i see it in the regional action plan and digital security those are the two areas i think 
our regional action plan can make the most sense to our region. And if we can, in some way, sort of incorporate our different security architectures, whether for climate security or digital security, together with WPS, that would be a great success uh, where our regional, our RPA is concerned. The danger is that we should not be, although it's way easier for us to just adopt uh, you know, regional plans from other regions and see whether it works. I mean, I, I'm a great believer in cultural context and the kind of understanding of indigenizing. Uh, I use that term a lot, making it our own. Because it is an international instrument. It, right. is, not, uh, it is not from one specific country or one right. specific region. And for it to work, we have to make it applicable to us. To make our leaders yeah. sit up and listen, we have to give them a story to tell them, hey, WPS is important because look at the two, look at what you are doing. You are working on climate uh, climate change adaptation and mitigation. You are working on digital security. Let me tell you how this can help you do that job well. Mm -hmm. So when you can bring this to our leaders, they are going to listen because it's going to be useful to them. But if you go in with a lot of feminist rhetoric, with a lot of oh, talk yeah. on conflict, with a lot of talk mm -hmm. and, and specifically armed conflict, a lot mm -hmm. of people are going to shut down because they're going to say, no, it's too sensitive. We can't go into that area. Mm. You know, not only not only that, Tamara, but, um, you know, uh, Malaysia is uh, stable. I mean, mm. they don't really have uh, armed conflict. Singapore doesn't have it. Exactly. Uh, Thailand uh, doesn't want to really think about it because it's in southern Thailand. Uh, Indonesia, uh, you know, uh, they acknowledge that they have it, so they have uh, plans on violent uh, extremism. So the mindset is that like WPS is really for areas of armed conflict. And we have to exactly. keep telling them no. Correct. It's not just for armed conflict. How do you get through to our leaders to make them realize that we have to look at the non-traditional security threats yes. as you're doing, Tamara? I think it's the language of peace. When you can convince them that, uh, let's look at all the things that can disrupt your peace and stability of the region. Mm. Because Singapore is, I can't have, if as a Singaporean, I will not have the same experience of someone in Myanmar or someone in a post-conflict society, like, uh, you know, whether it's Cambodia or, you know, Vietnam or wherever it is, right? I don't have the same experience. And we must also think in terms of generation, the generational <laughs> sort of uh, knowledge doesn't you know, move into this new group of, of these young people. But what yes. will affect them when we think in terms of what breaks down the peace of this region? Mm -hmm. It's going to be climate change. That's a yes. possibility. It's going yes. to be cyber security, digital mm -hmm. security. So, you know, convince them by that way. Because like you very correctly pointed out, we don't have a shared understanding of armed conflict in this region. Mm -hmm or shared experience even. But we have a shared, or will have a shared experience of climate change problem, if we are not already. Oh. And we will have a shared experience and understanding of cybercrime and digital security. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes relevant to all member states. So mm -hmm. when we WPS and we go in with that and say, hey, let me help you with what you're doing. Look at this framework. You will cover your blind spots. Right? I think that is the way. So that's why... I'm very um, 
I'm happy we have a regional plan of action, but at the same time, I'm very worried that it will not be, it will just be something that we've imported, which is mm -hmm. not what uh, I'm hoping for. Yeah, uh, you know when you know. when you when when you said uh, uh, that statement, I, I thought of the Mandalorian and how great it would be to <laughs> somebody like that. That is the way, Damara. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a really wonderful, uh, wonderful conversation, Tamara. We should have this uh, more, and maybe next time we can have it with Mo. But before we go, Tamara, uh, is there a message that you would like to share with uh, with our audience, especially the young, because we do have a lot of young uh, listeners uh, all over the world? Oh, it'd be an honor. I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll try my best to give a message that makes the most sense to everyone. But I think that, um, you know, uh, for the young women or even, even women in general, when you go out to your workplaces, you should bring with you your experience as a woman to that job. Mm. You don't have to be a feminist. You don't have to be a gender scholar. You don't yeah. have to be an activist. But when you bring your experience in and when people hear you talking from your experience, Saying what you think, not saying what you think they sh they want to hear. Mm -hmm. I think that is the most important message. So bring your experience as being a woman because you have your experience in this world is very different from from that of uh, you know men. And I'm not saying it's a better experience or worse experience. But it's a different experience. And what we need to embrace is are those differences. So we have. Uh, you know, diverse, inclusive um, generation of knowledge and not just one way. We've had one way for a very long time and it's not for a been very long time. Yes, and it's still there actually. It's difficult <laughs> to bring. But now it's time to, especially for the younger women, you know, it's time to sort of think from where you are standing and not so much along the systems that have influenced you. I think that's my message. Thank you so much for, for that message, Tamara. It gives us, uh, it, it really gives gives uh, a lot of people hope that I the, hope space, hope. <laughs> you know, the, the space uh, isn't uh, rigidly walled in you know, right. against women's participation and having uh, a platform, a framework like the Women, Peace and Security uh, agenda does does help us, and now it's in the hands of uh, of uh, future peace builders all over the world, especially the young, to make mm -hmm. sure that our governments do involve us as yes. we implement this. Because after all, security isn't just the concern of the state; it's not just the concern of the men and the military. It affects all of us, especially women who, as studies upon studies have shown, bear the brunt every time there's armed conflict or a tsunami or a typhoon like like uh, in the Philippines. So thank you so much, uh, Tamara, for, My pleasure. for the message. So dear listeners, you have heard uh, Tamara Nair of uh, Singapore uh, share with us her thoughts on non-traditional security threats and uh, the women peace and security agenda and i hope you know you'll find the time to come over to singapore because let me tell you it really is a gorgeous country to 
to visit. I always look forward to invitations to come over to Singapore. If for nothing, the food, oh my goodness, the <laughs> food, glorious food. You so are most welcome. <laughs> As we welcome <laughs> everyone. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us today, Tamara. Oh, and by the way, dear listeners, if you have a message for Tamara Nair or suggestions, you can send us an email at shetalkspeacepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, let me repeat that, shetalkspeacepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I hope you join us again next week as we have another guest who will share her thoughts and experiences with us. So thank you. Bye, Tamara. Bye, listeners. This is Amina Rasul from Manila, hoping you have a great week ahead. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.